Hey everyone, welcome to your Pastor Reads Books, the podcast where you'll hear pastors from different backgrounds talk about their love of reading and the books that are shaping them to be followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today's guest is writer and pastor Scott Savage, who leads Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. His writing's been featured often at relevantmagazine.com, air1radio.com, and ourdailybread.com. And he's passionate about helping hurting people forgive others through his Free to Forgive course, which is online, and we'll link that in the show notes. Today's conversation is all about the deep and honest work Christian leaders must do in order to remain healthy and resist the temptations to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful. Henry Nouwen's 1989 classic, In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership, inspires our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So hey, Scott Savage, welcome to the show. So glad you're here today. Thank you for having me. Um, I, you know, the guests who are listening heard your bio a little bit, and I have visited your website, uh, the Free to Forgive uh, course that you have. And um, I just, you know, it's it's very unique, all about forgiveness. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that came to be, like how that came to be a sort of uh, area of ministry for you in addition to, you know, leading and pastoring your church. Yeah, I think it was probably about 10 or 15 years ago, I was working with college students in Phoenix, Arizona, and we did uh, a Bible study on forgiveness. And it was like a bomb went off in the discussion. Um, and I just realized that whenever the topic of forgiveness came up from that moment on, people had very strong reactions to the idea. It was it created a ton of engagement, but it was not always the best engagement because people were frustrated, angry, and had all these questions around it. And that experience showed me that so much of the resistance that people had to forgiveness was because they had been given an inaccurate or unbiblical picture of forgiveness. And so they were reacting to this caricature and they were resisting that as opposed to wrestling with the real thing. So mm. uh, in 2016, 2017, I wrote an article um, about the nine lies we believe about forgiveness um, for Relevant Magazine. And uh, it went gangbusters. It was shared like you know 10,000 times on Facebook and I was like, okay, there's something here. And so that's kind of the genesis to beginning to put it together in a course form that people could then walk through that um, to experience the real thing. That's beautiful. I, In my own ministry, I find forgiveness, that topic, there are a lot of misconceptions around it. So maybe can you share the simple, just core idea of the course yeah. for us? Yeah, the basic idea is that people tend to jam together into one thing what are actually separate parts of a forgiveness journey. So what I've found is that people tend to think, hey, I, if I forgive that person, that means I have to also reconcile with them mm -hmm. and trust them again. So once I can help people kind of pull that one thing in their mind into three separate processes, and, and, and the way I describe it is forgiveness involves me, reconciliation involves we, and trust takes time. So I can forgive somebody without ever telling them, talking to them, interacting with them. This is why if you can forgive somebody who's dead, um, because forgiveness is you choosing you want to live in 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 freedom. That's mm -hmm. where the freedom to forgive comes from. 
In reconciliation, that involves two people doing work. That's the we. So you can choose to forgive somebody, but unless they're willing to also do the work with you, the relationship can't be restored. And then trust is something that happens over time. I love the quote. I forget who says it, that trust is built in drops and lost in buckets. Mm -hmm. And so when we realize just how much work and time trust takes, then we realize, hey, I can choose to forgive somebody, but reconciliation and trust are much bigger and much longer and more partnership things. And so when people realize, hey, in, in, in forgiveness, I'm just choosing that I want to be free. And that's mm-hmm. all I have to deal with today is, mm-hmm. is pursuing freedom from that bitterness and that hurt and that woundedness. It kind of takes the load off of those larger questions of, are they a person that I want to be in a relationship with still? Are they a person I can trust? We kind of just yes. push those off for another day. Yes. You know, in pastoral ministry, forgiveness comes up a lot in my context. And I see that exact same thing where people think, wait a minute, if I choose to forgive, it means I'm going to be friends with my abuser. And in fact, that's, you know, unless there's trust in a reconciliation process, that person wants to take that step. No, that's absolutely not the requirement for forgiveness. And yet you see people bound, right? And Mm -hmm. just not able to get free. So um, you do a lot on social media as well. And I've noticed that um, the kind of posts that you create are really invitational to people. They're invitational to like a, a healthier way of life, uh, uh, a more holistic spirituality. Um, how would you connect y- y- that your social media activity to your ministry in general? I mean, I I think the biggest challenge that everybody has with social media is how do I show be myself? I mean, authenticity is a buzzword. Um, it probably is overused, but but it probably is the best word I've seen to describe the people we want to follow. They're just themselves, and so for me, like that's that's who I am. I grew up um, at a time and an environment that I think helped me to love God with my mind, uh, but I'm not sure you know, the rest of the great commandment, I really got good experience loving God with my soul, loving God with my body, um, Mm. my strength. Um, And so as a result, I kind of went on my own journey to figure out those other pieces that I didn't really get equipped with. And so the work I'm doing on my own soul and my own life is, is that holistic, healthy spirituality. Mm. And that, that kind of just comes out in what I want, what I want to post about. So um, mm-hmm. I know that I probably don't follow all the social media rules to pick a niche and um, to do all those things that would help me to grow a larger following. But um, I post the things that I find helpful and that are helping me. And my my thought is, is if it's helping me and it's relevant for me, there's probably somebody else who's having a similar struggle. Um, so my my goal with my my teachings on Sundays is that it's biblical, relevant, and practical my hope is when I'm posting on social media during the week is that it's the same thing. So mm. um, I, want, I want people to follow me because they go, Oh, I could use that or, Oh, that's helpful. Um, and I think, I think helpfulness and practicality don't have to be incongruent with deep, you know, meaningful things. Um, they don't have to be shallow. Yeah, absolutely. You're just re- posting out of your own story, like your own life of following Christ. And And, you know, I think about our conversation about forgiveness just a minute ago. Forgiveness is like a holistic issue, right? Like when we don't forgive, we are affected body, soul, and spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just 
flows right into what you're saying. Um, so Scott, you're a writer. You've done a lot of writing. Um, you obviously write sermons uh, every week and you've done writing online and uh, in some different magazines. So writers are readers, right? So which came first for you? Was it reading or writing? And how did you become the reader that you are? I would say reading became the first thing. So I can remember just as a kid, my mom went to a garage sale and I haven't thought of this story in years, but she went to a garage sale and she found the entire like Hardy Boys in hardback Mm -hmm. series and she brought it back home. And I remember there was probably like 30, 40, 50 books there. And it was like Christmas morning. I was like, this is amazing. I now have books to read all summer long. So uh, my mom was a reader. um, And so I kind of picked up my love of reading from her. And so I just remember as a kid, I just was always, always reading books. Um, And then when I was a junior in high school, I had a history class and I was, I was the, you know, the butt of the jokes in all the class because I was Mm. killing the curve. Mm. And, um, you know, cause I was, my, my, my teacher loved to have essay tests and mm. I, I loved essay answers. And so my, my classmates were really mad that, that I was not helping them to get better grades with the curve. And my teacher helped me back one day from class, Mr. Lawfer, And he just said, Scott, I really think you have the skills to be a great writer one day. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, he, that was the first time anybody had pointed that out to me. Um, but I will always remember that that conversation. And so that's the beginning of me kind of going, hey, like this is not just something I'm good at. This is something maybe that God made me to do. So I wrote my first freelance article in college. Um, and then I started blogging, you know, in 2008. And since then, you know, I've I've had fun partnering with people like Our Daily Bread and, and Relevant Magazine and Air One. Um, and uh and I'm working on a book idea. So um, mm. it's just been, a, you know, an ongoing journey. But I love I love to read too. It's it's hard to find the balance sometimes, you know, yeah. between writing and reading. Um, I'll probably hit, the last three years, I'll probably hit a total of 200 books that I've read mm. um, between 21 and 2023. Um, but I do think you're right. It's a, it's a, you know, a symbiotic relationship. Great readers are writers and great writers are readers. Yeah, Absolutely. So, uh, are you able to give us a little, like, uh, teaser on what your book is about that you're working on? Yeah. So I, um, so sometimes, you know, sermon series come out of writing and sometimes, you know, writing comes out of sermon series. I did a series right before COVID called in the wilderness, where Mm -hmm. I looked at three different people, Hagar, Elijah, uh, and Moses, um, who experienced God in the wilderness. And what I talked about was that wilderness is often the place we don't want to be, but we find God's presence in a powerful and unique way there that shapes us and molds us in a way that changes the trajectory of our life. Mm. And so the basic idea of the book is what if the wilderness went from the place where you said, God, get me out of here to the place where you said, God, what do you want me to get out of here? Mm. What if you went from saying, hey, wilderness is what I'm trying to escape. And you began to understand this is something God's orchestrated. Um, And so I don't know anybody who says, hey, I would love to go to the wilderness in terms Mm -hmm. of an emotional or spiritual experience. But when we often tell our life stories, 
they're impossible to tell without a wilderness experience. Mm -hmm. So I want to help people who are in the wilderness. And I think we will all end up there one day if we're not there right now. Yeah. Um, Help them to navigate that in a way that they really get everything out of it they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we do see with the people of Israel, they weren't supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah. Supposed to be one or two years. And I think sometimes we end up in the wilderness longer than we should. Um, So that's kind of the, the kind of core of the story. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm excited to read that. Um, I think the spirit was speaking to a lot of us pastors right before COVID because my series was also about the wilderness, but it was Jesus in the wilderness, you know, Mm. and the temptations. But um, it's so true. And that message that you're talking about is an evergreen message. My dad was a pastor, just one little little nugget. Mm. And and Mm -hmm. I, I forgot most of the messages I heard as a kid. But I do remember he would say all regularly in his sermons, everyone is either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or heading into a crisis. And just that, I think, idea is kind of, you know, a part of that idea of wilderness that, you know, we we go through hard things and, you know, there are seasons where we have a break, yeah. but often, you know, that's where we find ourselves. Right. Oh my gosh. So powerful. So Scott, will you introduce to us the book that you're going to talk about today? Because I am sure that this all ties together in some ways. It (laughs) it does tie together because you mentioned that right before, you know, the pandemic, you were talking about the temptations of Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so the book that I um, want to talk about is by Henry Nowen. It's called In the Name of Jesus. The subtitle is Reflections on Christian Leadership. And the reason why it ties in is because what Nowen does in the book is he walks through the three temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness, mm. um, the temptation to turn the rocks into bread, the temptation to um, throw himself off the temple and have the angels catch him, and the temptation you know, to have power over the world. Mm. How does this relate to Christian leadership? So does- I've, I've read this book every year since 2002. So it is, it is wow. an annual, I've, I've, I've read it over 20 times. Wow. Uh, and the reason, and, and, it, and it's only a hundred pages long. I mean, barely a hundred pages if you count the epilogue. Um, but I think that now, and I think he wrote this book in 1989. Hmm. Yeah. 89. So the book's, you know, 25 years old now. I think what now does is in a very short book, he summarizes, I think, some of the greatest temptations that leaders face. So he defines the three temptations of Jesus in terms of leadership to be the temptation uh, to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, and the temptation to be powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that I face those. You know, is is what I'm saying and doing relevant? Does anybody care? Mm-hmm. Um, does does it matter in their lives? Two, you know, there is, because of social media, this temptation that Christian leaders face to do things that are spectacular, Mm -hmm. you know, to show the world just how amazing you are, to compare your accomplishments and what your ministry is doing to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think this era with church hurt and deconstruction, you know, is the temptation to be powerful. We've seen people who have gained power and used it to deeply wound and hurt those in their care. And so I think the 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 work that Nowen does in this book is incredibly evergreen. And whenever I come back to it, I was just scanning the book this morning and there's a section where I was like, I've I've read this section 17 mm-hmm. times now and it still is 
is is cutting me and speaking to me and revealing things to me that need to be addressed. Wow. Uh yikes. Uh so as you were talking, I was thinking about our conversation about social media and how, you know, we writers, like we have publishers in our ear who are saying, build a big platform so we can sell 10,000 books a year, you know? And yet as a follower of Jesus, there's such a conflict, right? In in this motivation to like we could say serve a lot of people, right? Absolutely. Serve a wider group of people, which is really like what the heart is, but that can so easily slip over into, uh, you know, blowing ourselves up and trying to be spectacular so we can get our names spread around, you know? And so tell me, tell me more about how this book has formed you as a follower of Jesus. One of the sections that, that to me just, it is, circled, underlined, you know, mm. uh, starred is the section in the book where he talks about um, the temptation to power. And he says, what makes the temptation to power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Mm. It seems easier to be God than love God. It seems easier to control people than to love people. It seems easier to own life than to love life. Hmm. And then he says, one thing is clear to me. The temptation to power is greatest when intimacy is a threat. Mm. Can you say more about that? When intimacy is a threat? What does he mean? Well, I mean, so so I I think that's that's the great struggle of social media is that it's this curated experience of ourselves. You know, and and we all talk about, hey, you know, like everybody shows their highlight reel and we compare a highlight reel to everybody else's behind the scenes. I think that's John Acuff's famous quote, you know, and we talk about filters, you know, but the truth is, is that we're all, we're all searching for love every day, whether it's from the person that we've committed to spend the rest of our life with, from our kids, from our friends, from the people we serve in our churches. And, and, and in that search for love, many of us get, get beat up along the way, you know, mm-hmm. you know, even the people who are closest to us love us. And so at a certain point, you you ask yourself, how much do I really want to let people in? How much do I really want to expose myself? Is it really worth all this effort to get love? And sometimes it's like, well, what what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. You know, what are my other options? And that's where I just see so many leaders who go, hey, I'm I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared of being hurt again. So I'm just going to choose power instead. Mm. I'm going to choose the position that is above everybody else or has the most power where they all serve me. And so I'm going to get other things that, re- that are like substitutes or counterfeits of love. Mm. I'm going to get likes. I'm going to get approval. Mm. I'm going to get applause. I'm going to get admiration. I'm going to get, you know, respect, mm-hmm. you know, and none of those things I think in and of themselves are inherently bad. But when we try to replace what God designed us for with love, with those things, you know, there is, there are consequences to that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think there's a lot of, a lot of us who are at the end of the day, still, still thinking we get up to speak or we open up the camera to post if they really knew what would happen, would they love me? Mm. Would they reject me? And mm-hmm. so when we when we we get afraid of that that you know um, question that answer, there's other temptations the enemy begins to send in that says, "Hey, 
you know, you don't want that. You don't want that risk. Mm-hmm. You don't want that potential hurt. Let's do this instead. Mm-hmm. Harden and yourself so, off. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 And so I just, you know, when I was, when I was in college, you know, I had a mentor, um, we were both impacted by this book. I'd read it a couple of times before I met him, but we began to realize in the environment we first met in, and then we served in ministry together for four or five years that, that, that there were people who we were watching lead who at first their actions didn't make sense. Mm. But when we realized that they had led and gotten hurt, they had led and been wounded mm-hmm. and eventually they just got tired of being wounded. We watched them choose power instead mm-hmm. um, to have a distance from the people, but want to still control mm-hmm. and manipulate them. And we're like, this is, this is what now it says, you know, the temptation mm-hmm. to power is greatest when intimacy being known being seen, being loved is a threat. Yeah. They're going to keep that arm's length and they're going to turn mm-hmm. up the power um, so that they don't have to risk that. Mm-hmm. We've seen that happen. I mean, do you think at the core of, you know, pastors caving to these three temptations, do you think at the core are just people who've been wounded and they're they're trying to solve the problem of their woundedness? I mean, I, I think that is that is a compassionate way to look at it. Now, tell me some other ways to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you can look at it that way. And I think that's a very compassionate way. And I think some people have a hard time showing compassion to people who have committed great wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, th- I, I think we live in a world that is still a very scapegoat world. We are much better at justice in our world than we are mercy. Yes. I 100% agree with you on that. And it's a lot easier for me to be compassionate or take the compassionate view when we're talking about nameless, faceless people right now. But I can think about uh, leaders who have wounded me and it's a lot harder to have that compassion. That's really a work of the spirit. So holding, 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 holding that compassionate view, you you don't have to just have one view. Mm -hmm. So that's what I say that you you could hold a compassionate view. And I think that's, that is a, a very mature and worthy ambition to get to that place. I think you also can say, hey, there is a place for a view that says, hey, as a leader, you are responsible for your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And you are responsible for doing the work with your own stuff. And if you don't do the work with your own stuff, and that ends up hurting other people, you're responsible for those those consequences. So another view is a more justice accountability view. Mm-hmm. To say, mm-hmm. hey, like as and and I'm I'm speaking as a leader to leaders here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as a leader, if you don't do the work on your own soul, it is gonna it is gonna affect somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, what what's inside of you is gonna come out of you, and you can say, I don't want to deal with that. That's great for you, but it sucks for the rest of us because we have to deal with it every day. And yeah. so and so, I I challenged my people even yesterday. I'm teaching through the Great Commandment, and I just said, look, what comes in, what comes out of you is what's inside of you. And you can say, I don't know who, I don't know who that was. That's not who I am. Where did that come from? Or you can go, you know what? It came from within me. And I probably should, I probably should look at that because I can't love God with my heart unless I know what's in my heart. So I would say to leaders, if there are any leaders listening to this, you know, you can sit in judgment of just name, name the latest, you know, failure, you know, in the church. Mm-hmm. You can sit in judgment of them, or you can go, you know what? I'm capable of the exact same thing. And if I don't do my work, if I don't sit down and and get into therapy, if I don't put people around me who ask me hard questions, if I don't, you know, read books like Nowens and actually engage it, then I'm I'm very much going to end up in the same place. 
Yeah. It's almost like you're saying we have to have a holy terror of walking in the footsteps of those who have abused power because yeah. we're capable of it. And and that's where I think it's really hard for leaders today because I think so many of us have a hard time embracing the the God-given responsibility and power we have because we don't want to end up like, you know, name whoever the person is by the time this podcast comes out who's who's failed. Yes. And and so I think the temptation for my generation, and I'm I'm almost 40, is to say, hey, no, no leaders no power. We're just going to reject the whole thing. Well, I read scripture and I just see two things. One, you have lots of bad examples of leaders, but you also have God. God only works through people who can hold power well. Mm. So the solution isn't just no leaders, no power. We're going to have a flat, you know, structure. I've been in church so long that that, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Eventually somebody has to be the one who makes the hard decision. Yes. Eventually somebody has to say, Hey, here, here's where we're going. Now that person shouldn't be isolated and there should be accountability for that person. That's why I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of an elder, an elder model where there's accountability and there is some, some team aspect, but on the other side, how do you hold that power in a way that doesn't destroy you and doesn't destroy other people. Um, and and that's where I think the pendulum can go too far the opposite, where we just reject that view and mm-hmm. say, hey, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. You actually can't have a healthy leader who can hold power without it becoming, you know, a tool to hurt people. And and that's where I think we are today, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of mm-hmm. in this cultural moment. And that's why I, I keep coming back to now and because I think he offers us a way forward to do that work on our own soul and ask these hard questions of ourselves so that we can be those people who can lead in a way imperfect as it is, but to help the people of God move forward, you know, in a, in a healthy, non-destructive way. Mm-hmm. Where would you recommend someone start? Like, let's say we've got someone listening to this and they're like, Hmm, haven't thought about these things before. Where do you start? I mean, I think it starts with an honest conversation with a trusted friend. Mm-hmm. You know, is there somebody that you know that you, like, I think I can trust them mm. to have a conversation and say, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is this podcast I listen to. This is what I'm struggling with. If you don't have that person, then it's time to pay somebody to be that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've, I've found um, every single person that I have sent to counseling has said the same thing. I waited too long. Mm. I should have gone sooner. I've never met anybody who said, you know what? I went too early. You know, like I didn't need it. I'm like, no, everybody, everybody's like, I, I should have gone. So I'm a big believer in therapy. I'll be in therapy in about 90 minutes uh, for yes. my, you know, every three week session. So I would say sit down with somebody who's a trusted friend. And if you don't have somebody, then find a therapist and and begin just kind of peeling back the layers of of your onion and, mm-hmm. and seeing what's going on beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Henry Nouwen's book, you could read it in a large cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Nouwen's offers you, I think, a great roadmap and a lot of fodder for that discussion. Um, and if you are a leader and you're a reader and you're exploring this, uh, I think that you need to start asking the question, how can I build an environment around me that both helps me to be my healthiest self but also helps me to not become my worst self mm, and restrict myself in some ways. So I can remember, you know, I came to this position seven years ago 
And uh, in the first year, um, I got an opportunity to write a book. But the the previous pastor, a great guy, he had left because of the success of his book writing. Mm. And I knew that was a a tender area for the leadership of the church. They loved that pastor. They believed Mm. in him. It was the right thing for him to do. But I knew that was kind of tender territory. And so Mm. I brought to the elders, hey, I have this opportunity. What do you guys think? And they say, Scott, you're a great writer. But we think this is the wrong time. Mm. I said, okay. And so I passed on it. Wow. Takes a lot of courage to listen to those people you surround yourself with, right? Yeah, because you're like, are those opportunities going to come around again? Right. Uh, But I I was, I really wanted, I I wanted to be that kind of leader and I wanted to build that kind of culture where those, Mm. those leaders around me knew if you say no, I will accept it. Wow. Um, That's great. And and so that's where I think you have to have, um, you have to have that kind of environment where you're building that on kind of, kind of like a retirement fund. You build it when you don't need it. So it's there when you do. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you build that environment around you so that when those moments come where maybe you're out over your skis or you're in an unhealthy mm. place, it isn't the first time somebody said something hard to you or the first time you've heard a no and you've accepted it. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of work for a pastor to set up, I would say, because not every board of elders is equipped or even has a vision to understand that that's what their role could be. You know, yeah, and 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 sometimes you have to, you know, move some people off and move some people on, mm-hmm. so that you can trust those people to do that in a way that is also healthy for them. You know, because mm-hmm. you you don't want to be the leader who's manipulating those leaders for your own selfishness. You don't want to have right. a a group of yes men around you. On the right. other side, if you have an unhealthy team that's holding you accountable, it's, it's, it's tough for that, that accountability to be healthy. Right. And so, um, you know, it's been a journey for us with our leadership. Um, but, but we really have said, Hey, these are the values we want to have for our, you know, our leadership team. And so how do we continue to talk about those lead towards those, um, and, and bring new people on who fit those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm grateful for, for where we are and where we've gotten and the conversations that's led to, I think it's helped me to be a healthier leader and it's helped us to be a healthier church. Well, it's clear that you are serving the people that you're pastoring. Those people who are in higher levels of leadership understand and have this healthier picture of what church government can look like. How do you, how has this book and understanding these temptations helped you pastor the people who come into your church who are just so wounded because they've been abused by leaders. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, you know, it, it for me says, okay, I, I need to speak in such a way that what I'm saying is not becoming another burden on top of every other burden they're carrying. Mm. So, so to me, one of the things that I do, I, I have a team that I run through my sermons with every Thursday morning. So I get up mm. and I deliver the whole sermon verbatim. Mm as if it was Sunday morning and then we get done and we walk through, okay, my slides, my handout, what needs to be fixed, where are the typos? And then we get into content, you know, mm. both, both what I said and how I said it. Um, and sometimes if there's a section I'm worried about, I'm like, Hey, give me some feedback on tone. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to like tone police myself, but sometimes it's not what we say. It's how we say it. 
And especially if somebody is wounded and they've been in an environment where the person who's in my shoes was the the offender, mm-hmm. I'm realizing that like they're going to struggle to listen to me initially because all they see is the person mm-hmm. who hurt them. So that's why, wow. you know, and I made a reference to, to this, um, you know, this idea really came from, from Nowen's book, you know, but I try to tell as many villain stories as I tell hero stories. Mm. I think pastors are, are all too often, you know, they, they tell stories where they're the hero. So mm. the story I just told with my board, you know, about me saying, me saying, I want to do this. And they said, no. And I embraced that. That's a hero mm-hmm. story. You know, mm-hmm. I did the right thing, mm-hmm. but I try to tell many other stories that are the opposite. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the villain. Like I did the wrong thing. I mm-hmm. missed it. And so I hope to then, you know, begin to help them to understand these things that we're talking about. I am not the, I'm not the paragon or the model. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm somebody who's walking this with you. This has been a struggle for me. And let me let me share. I may be up here on the platform, but I'm really sitting side by side with you because these are things I've had to figure out myself. So I try to not add more burdens and I try to make sure I, they they know, hey, I'm not the one up here with all the answers. And I'm not the one who has a perfect you know, track record, a thousand batting average. I've got my own stumbles and falls along the way with this. That's great. There are so many people hurting right now. And I'm so grateful for pastors like you who are aware and self-aware and are doing whatever you can to like just really give compassionate care to those people who need Jesus and need the body of Christ and need to find healing. So um, any final thoughts for us, Scott, before we take off? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, if if that person is listening that you just were talking about who is hurting and wounded, you know, maybe that person is is in leadership and they're hurting and wounded themselves. I've been there myself mm-hmm. where I'm having to lead even though I feel like I'm limping along the way, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say two things. The, the work is worth it to, to do your own work and pursue healing. It, it's, it's, it's hard. It, you get hurt so much faster than you get healed. Mm. I mean, you can get hurt in a day <laughs> or a week or a month. Yeah. And, and then it's years or a decade of healing. That's, that, that's the hard part is, is it happens so fast when you get hurt and it happens so slow for you to overcome it. So yeah. don't don't give up on that work. It's worth it. it. It will impact you. It will impact the people around you. It will have a ripple effect to people that you're not even aware of right now. Um, so so it matters the work. Showing up for therapy when you don't feel like it. Sitting down and reading something. Having a hard conversation. Crying. Um, saying no. Creating boundaries. All of those kind mm. of healthier things. All of that work is worth it, even if in the moment you can't see it. Mm. So I'd encourage you to just to, to to do the work and and not grow weary in doing good. On the other side, you know, I, I would say, you know, if if you are that person who's hurt, um, you need to put yourself in an environment around healthier people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes when we find ourselves hurt, there is some community that can come with other people who are hurting because they're like, oh, these people see me, they get me, they mm-hmm. know what it's like. Um, but we have to make sure that we're not only around people who get us, but also people who can actually help us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think this whole phase of, of deconstruction really began in the late two thousands. I was in an emerging slash emergent church environment mm-hmm. and I started seeing some of the things that I'm now seeing play out. We didn't have Instagram back then, but it was, it was clear. And I had to start changing the people I was around 
because I realized that those people um, were constantly focusing on what was broken and and they weren't pursuing what actually needed to be healed. Mm-hmm. And, and so I realized I, I need to, I, I started reading different people and I started spending time with different people because it took that for me to begin to overcome my cynicism mm. and my wounds to get healed. So I would just encourage you, make sure that you're putting yourself in environments with people both online, in books, and in person, not who are, you know, Pollyanna about it's all perfect and wonderful and there are no problems, but people who are doing the work and who are either who've been healed or are working towards healing um, because we become like the people we spend the most time with. And so get around people who can actually help you get where you want to go. That's really good. I, I like the phrase, the church mends the church. The church can heal the church, right? But you have to put yourself mm-hmm. around its healing members for sure. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for the opportunity, Heather. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Pastor Scott Savage. You can follow Scott on all social media platforms by searching for Scott Savage Live. And don't worry, links are in the show notes to those and other resources we mentioned in the show. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating or a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Every review helps get the word out to more listeners. And once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me and my ministry, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening. And I hope you read a great book today.